ladies and gentlemen, November is right around the corner. It is our patriotic duty that once every four years, we get to select a candidate that is not only qualified, but resonates the American spirit. And in the running, I give you Joe 2020. No, not that Joe. Joe Tyson. Yes. Go to joestreamshack.com and show your patriotic pride by using Aquarium Guys promo code at checkout. 15 whole percent off. What's more American than saving some money? Show your patriotic pride. Pick either blue shrimp, red shrimp, or if you're weird green shrimp. I mean, there's those are those a candidate as well. So I so I've been told. It's your American duty. JoeShrimpShack.com. Show your pride. I'm Joe Tyson, and I approve this message. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Oh man, did did my cat leave that? That was you, Jimmy. That was... <laughs> Guys, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Rob Zolson. I'm Jim Colby. And Adam isn't here because we're doing this on a Friday. Friday afternoon. And Adam has a real job. So uh, <laughs> the rest of us do not. Not on Friday afternoons. No. Mm-hmm. So this is our little Friday afternoon delight. We've got a very big star that we're going to be interviewing here shortly. We'd like to welcome uh, Josh Pickett. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Josh, welcome to the podcast. We're, we're happy to have you on. Are uh, you ready to get beaten up? Oh, yeah. Far away. Fire Fire away. away. So for those that are listening, uh, this uh, episode is going to be about Bashirs. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Let's just start with that. What's the pronunciation exactly? Did did I hit it? Yeah, yeah, Bashirs. Spot on. Not birches or bikers or anything. Yeah, Bashirs. Or or bitches. Not that either. Bitchin' bikers. That's not it. Bitchin' bikers. We've heard it all. We we really have. Uh. So it's a wonderful fish. If you guys have not heard of it or pronounced it in some other way, it is a wonderful kind of low bottom dwelling fish in the uh, in your tank. That's more of a predatory fish. It, it looks like half between a snake and a dinosaur. It's a fantastic fish. There is not a ton of uh, detailed media about it. And Josh ap- uh, happens to be making the handbook for the Bashir. Before we get into news, tell us more about it. Yeah, but Bashirs are absolutely brilliant fish. They're uh, really um, not really understood. Uh, you, you go on Google, go anywhere. I mean, there's so much misinformation about them. Uh, I mean, you just take, t- uh, go to Google, type in Polyterus weeksi, um, and like Heasy pop up. Same with you know P. palmus. Uh, you know, Poly pops up. These are all other other species, but yeah, no, absolutely brilliant fish. Uh, and I, I sort of feel a, a book is is really needed. I mean, I, I'm by far not the expert on them. Uh, there's there's plenty of experts out there uh, that, that cover this, but I mean I, I've got a graphic design and editorial background, uh, and I, I just enjoy keeping the fish. So I kind of want to bring the science and the art together and create a nice little book that will keep the uh, yeah, the care of them all right. So for those that are wondering, it's thebashirhandbook.com, and again we'll have that link in the show notes uh, description. 
It is not yet out. It is just being finished. Is that correct? Yeah, probably about a month, maybe a month and a half before it's done. Excellent. Well, maybe uh, if we pull our cards right and open our wallet, we can even uh, put a Aquarium Guys advert in there, you know? There we go. Ah, uh, Jimmy? <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, again, we'll go uh, yeah. in more in-depth to- topic, and we just got to make sure we're reviewing questions here. Jimmy, how was your week? My week's been wonderful. My my pond leaked. I I have a tore apart, and and uh, I haven't got it put back together yet. Did, so. you, did you figure out what happened? Uh not yet, not yet. I I got it drained, and that's as far as I got. So kids didn't like drop a M eighty in it. We don't think so, but crack. But you know the, the neighborhood kids are pretty rambunctious, right? So you you are in front of a park for a reason. Yes. Yeah, we found a few new uh, golf balls in the, in the yard over the weekend. The kids were golfing across the street, and so I saw who it was. So I thought I'm going to keep them. I didn't give the golf balls back. I mean, who gives a golf ball back anyway? No, no. that's in my yard. That's just waiting to get hit by the lawnmower. Exactly. So this week, I have finally decided that, uh, especially since we did our you know low cost podcast, yes, I'm going full forward. With the sump idea, I have uh, two aquariums next to each other, a 75-gallon um, and a 125-tall. I'm going to put a trickle tower wet-dry sump filter combo, and I'm going to run both of them off of it. You need some help putting that together? I do, because I, I I'm will, inept. I will see if Adam will come up and help you, because I ain't doing it. Wonderful. You're on vacation next week, aren't I'm you? I'm on vacation next week. Uh, we are going to be going out and about for a little bit and then we'll be back uh, the following week secure camping because that's really all we can do during covid yeah pretty accurate pretty accurate we got a couple things planned but i'll tell you about them later no licking doorknobs you can only lick pine trees Jimmy. that's correct excellent well as far as questions go well since we're doing this on an off day we answered a good chunk of them already but uh we do want to do a follow-up for one of our questions that we had uh peter that was messaging in about his aquarium and having uh, different uh, issues with brown algae. Um, he says that uh, he is going to follow up with us. He is feeding a lot. Um, he's going to move to one type of food per feeding and then rotate the food and go on a normal schedule, um, reduce light exposure. Yeah, Peter had, had sent us a, a message, and um, we thought several different things were not quite right. So we gave him some advice, and so it looks like he's going to take most of the advice and see what happens. So if it's still full of brown algae in a couple of months, then it'll be back on us. Yep, and he, again, the main thing to reduce is because he has a cold water tank. He did take the heater out. He has uh, sunfish is primarily the uh, fish in the tank. So cold water fish don't need to be fed as often. They need uh, every other day cold water fish unless you're raising the temperature. Goldfish, for instance, at 55 degrees shouldn't even be fed. They should be fed probably once a month, lightly. And even then, they, they'll pick at it. So cold water fish, if the temperature is low enough, you don't have to feed off, and I do every other day. If you have it above, say, 76 degrees, treat it more like a tropical fish where you feed it every day. But I'd still pick one day a week. Just feeding in general. If you have seven days, one day should be a, a fast day for fish. You shouldn't feed every day of the week. And even so the amount you feed or what you feed matters. So if it's something that's going to be like a tubaflex uh, square, that's going to last a couple hours. Um, I love long uh, lasting food like that. But if you're doing pellets or flake at the top, do what they consume. Don't overfeed. Don't let it get stuck in the filter and causing more bacteria in the, in the tank. Sometimes less is better. Less is more unless 
involves alcohol or hookers. Or you're at Taco Bell like Rob's. That's right, right. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. All right. So that finishes up the questions. Um, Adam, we miss you. How, how could you have a job? I know. Anyway, everybody loves Adam so much, and now we're going to get a lot of crap because he's not on this podcast. We are. It's amazing that the fandom that we have for Adam. Yes. Where, where's Where's my fandom, right? None. None. Instead, this last week, I had uh, submitted by one of the listeners a uh, wonderful picture. They, uh, they made me look like the Smurf man. I don't know. The blue hair, blue beard. They put Nike logos for my eyebrows. So uh, thank you for that. While Adam instead gets called sexy. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying that this podcast is hella biased. All right, well, let's get right into the topic. I, I know it's late for you. It's about uh, almost 9 o'clock your time. Correct, Josh? Yeah, yeah, 10 to 9. Well, let's, good let's, uh, let's make this easy on you, buddy. Let's dive, uh, dive right into the topic. So we ask everybody, you know, what got <laughs> you into the passion of aquariums? Uh, I have a very obsessive personality. I like fish, uh, and that sort of just... Happen. I don't know. I, I love fit. I used to go on river walks uh, all the time when I was in school. I was like a, a member of this gay little RSPB club. Um, it, it was great fun. But uh, I used to do river walks all the time, spot fish, net fish, watch birds. Uh, and in the end, I sort of just really wanted to set up my own my own tank, my own native tank. I must have been about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, went ahead, set up the tank, and sort of got hooked from there on and ended up, you know, delving into African fish and all sorts of oddballs. And where did you where did you grow up? Uh, Salisbury in uh, Wiltshire, near where the uh, that poisoning was, the cathedral. I'm, I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. I feel like there's a story. He's You're from out of familiar. town. He's I'm out of town. God. No, there was there was uh, there was that scripple poisoning, the Russian poisoning, wasn't there? Yesterday. You know, you don't know this. No. Oh God, no. It's a year or so ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, my hometown. Yeah, uh, this Russian ex-spy was was poisoned. Literally. A few, uh, a few blocks away from uh, my uh, hometown. Oh, I well, did hear a little hometown. bit about that. Was that him and yeah, his, yeah. him and his daughter? Is that the one? Yeah, it was him and his daughter. Um, I think, I think they both survived, but uh, there was residue of the poison um, from one of the local people as well. So it was uh, one of my friends. Well, not really friends. It was sort of more someone at my babysitter when I was a kid. Hold on, don't divulge uh, all the information of your right, secret right. agent status. Well, well, no, it's it's not so much. But um, his unfortunately, his mum was one of the victims. Actually, you know, came into contact with it and, and, and passed away. Uh, that was the Novichok poison. So wow, that, yeah, that was that was bloody. That sort of took, what a yeah, terrible small world. It, uh, and yeah. um, who was poisoned yesterday? It was Putin's main. Um, oh yeah, it was, that was the, his opposition, wasn't it? His opposition yesterday. He's been in power for a while. Yeah, yeah, he got poisoned yesterday, yeah, and he is in a coma in serious condition. Uh, I saw a video of him being taken off the airplane. He was on a commercial flight from Siberia to Moscow, I believe. I could be wrong. Right. And they took him off that airplane. He was screaming. He was in so much pain, and they figure he got poisoned in Siberia. And uh, last night on our, our local, not our local news, but our national news. They showed the last uh, six or seven people that had um, kind of had uh, an outing with Putin, and they mm-hmm. showed how all six of them have died from poisoning, but Putin's got nothing to do with it. Something sketchy going on. Well, there. a little sketchy. I just want to put, uh, put it out there that thanks for having the international crew, but we're now on a list. I mean, we're already on our own government's list. Now we're on multiple government's lists. No, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm repeating what I saw on TV. 
This is not my own theory. I don't want to die. I love this podcast so much. <laughs> we ask what brought him into aquariums, and now we're talking about the Russian government. That's right. I love it. It we- doesn't get better than this, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, what got you in to loving Bashir so much? It sounds weird, but they're really elongated, eel-like fish. There's something phallic about them that really feels like <laughs> more something about me, really, than... But anyway, it's, it's great fish. It just so happens that they're phallic. It's got nothing to do with the phallus at all. It's just they happen to be phallic. But they're, they're great fish. I, I don't know. I, I, love, I love them. I was drawn to them. Um, I think I started off with a Senegal and a Leprady this year. Uh, named it Baz, uh, the the Senegal. Uh, but and then the next thing you know, I got, I you know woke up one day and I had every single Bashir species, and I was like, "Fuck, where did that come from?" That that's so, wonderful. So yeah. I mean, I, I can I can relate with the phallic deal, right? Me and my wife, we absolutely adore weather loaches. So we have the oh, we have the yes. golden dojo loaches, and trust me, yeah. they are hard penis size. We we call them the penis fish. Mm. It's uh, it's comical. And they're one of the few species where you put your hand in and you interact with them. They come up, they, they swim right in your hand looking for food. It's a very weird thing having that type of species. So I can totally relate with the cartoony looks of a species. It, it's the only time that Rob gets something large in his hand like that. <laughs> is when he, when, he touch, when he grabs his golden dojo load. This is why we don't do podcasts on Friday. That's right. There's just too much booze involved. A little squirrely. Right. But, uh, yeah, I'm sitting right next to Rob's 75-gallon tank, and he's got at least three or four, and they're all about uh, 9, 10 inches long, and they're absolutely huge. Can you see them in there? Probably not. Probably not. We'll have to show you here after the podcast. But, but yeah, yeah, Rob. Definitely. But, anyway, uh, Rob's beautiful wife uh, calls them her penis fish, which I don't understand, but. I mean, I mean 10-inch penis fish, that's, I mean, I'll give you credit there. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm just a short little yeah. fat white guy, and I'm impressed. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> so, number one, we went over pronunciations. I figured that was like the the biggest uh, thing to hit right away. Bitchin' bikers, bitchin' bikers. So, <laughs> on uh, like pronunciation don't really matter. It's I mean, language evolves and changes all the time. I mean, it came originally from uh, an Arabic name uh, um, for spiny fish that live in the River Nile, uh, and then of course um, one of uh, Napoleon's naturalists during the uh, French conquest of Egypt, uh, just spotted it in the Nile River, named it uh, at Bashir uh, after um, Christ. What was it called now? Probably his ugly mother-in-law. Yeah, no, well, it was, uh, <laughs> a, native, it was a native uh, Arabian word uh, called Abushir, and he thought it was two words, uh, Abushir, so he just called it Bashir, uh, when really it was just Abushir. And then he sort of changed the name, um, retained the pronunciation, the pronunciation Bashir, and uh, yeah, it's been spelt B-I-S-H-I-R on occasion. Uh, you can go back on a few studies and see that, but uh, it changed the uh, the C-H pronunciation. So I'm so. assuming there's a lot of these left in the wild. It's not something that's come, you know, at risk, especially in the Nile oh, River? No, 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 there's an abundance of them, although in Egypt, um, I don't think any have been caught in Egypt since their discovery. So they may be uh, not extinct, but probably approaching, uh, you know, extinction in egypt like every animal out there habitat is always an issue you know so you may not find them everywhere they used to be but there's still plenty in existence whereas other aquarium species there are species that are completely extinct and only found commonly in the aquarium trade so it's nice to hear that there's still uh quite a few out there but 
Um, now, as far as care, I just want to dive into that because I'm going through the list on your website, and there's a few do's and don'ts that I want to go over on this uh, particular species. It's a predatory yeah. fish, so immediately people are trying to uh, worry about aggression while stuff fit in its mouth. That's that's pretty common. Um, its mouth happens, to, it, it, when I see them, it, it's as big around as its body. So what tank mates can you have with a Bashir? Uh, it completely depends on species. I, I, I'd complete, I, I'd avoid small little pelagic fish, uh, even medium-sized pelagic fish, because uh, they, uh, they like to ambush their prey. They'll come right up underneath uh, and then open its mouth uh, using inertial suction, sucks the prey in completely. Or if it's too big, it death rolls pieces off of them like crocodiles. So Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's some videos on you should put in, like Bashir death roll, and it's ridiculous. I've... I saw one. Uh, there's one circulating of... Um, Right, what was it called? An arapaima, uh, a young arapaima getting death rolled by some bashirs. Some muppet just put like a hundred bashirs in a tank with an arapaima. Jeez, I've yeah. had uh, bashirs about twice. Um, one was a donation; someone got it. They uh, said it ate their, uh, I think it was a loach whole. Yeah, and they just didn't want it anymore. And the other one I, I purchased and sold to someone, so I always had them alone. I've never had them with. Uh, a lot of tank mates because I didn't even want to play the game. If I didn't have the knowledge and background, I just didn't want to risk it. So I kept yeah. them alone. They were pretty large size, and uh, it's it's literally like having a sea serpent in your tank with with sizable teeth. It's uh, quite uh, quite the mean looking individual. Yeah, they got uh, they've even got like conical tooth patches right on the roof of their mouth as well. So uh, when they grip down on their prey, there's no way that prey is going to get out of its mouth, not unless it pulls out all of those teeth. Which is a you know those teeth are like a velcro like grip, so pretty horrible. But they they won't bite you though. Honestly, you wiggle your finger right in front of them. They, I mean, probably won't bite you. Uh, probably. I've not really. I've not tested that theory, um, but I, I think I think you could be all right. Yeah, I was I about to ask you if they've ever bit your your hand or finger. But... I know one guy that was bitten. Well, it wasn't so much himself that was bitten, but I think he dipped something in the tank and his weeksy just grabbed onto it. But I, I've not seen that as the norm. Um, normally, they just panic and dart away they don't have very good eyesight as well so they'll feel the vibration think fuck that's probably a predator dart away so, so i was gonna ask that uh, every time i've had uh, issues with uh bashirs with you know people customers uh, mess people messaging us is they have it where they're skittish and i always thought that it could it be vision but it always seems like loud noises you drop yep. something in the house or vibrations you or you play music and yep. i hear people with issues of them shooting out of their tank like a rocket yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty they're common really, then. Really skittish. Quite a lot of them are wild caught as well. There is, there's, there's a fair few that have, you know, most of them have been bred in captivity now. I think Winksy is the only one that's not been bred in captivity, and I found they have been the, uh, the, the, the shyest. Uh, like especially Moklembembe. That's another one. That's a great one that's named after like a mythical sauropod-like creature, the Moklembembe. Yeah, no, they they could be super shy. Um, there's probably a few like P. Senegalis and P. Poli that you know happily dart around somewhere around the tank. Uh, but yeah, they're very sensitive to noise. They don't have the best eyesight, um, although they do have good night vision. They have these tapetum crystals in the back of their eye, reflects available light, you know, increasing their vision, but blurs their vision a little bit slightly as well. You see it in like deep sea animals and a fair few nocturnal predators. But, yeah. but uh, that means sort of any movement you do, you've got like a bright white top on uh, and a dark background. They'll see that movement and they'll think, fuck, that thing's big, start away. So again, they they hunt by vibrations or scent. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, they they use all sorts of uh, all sorts of scents. Yeah, 
So when you feed, uh, I'm assuming you use uh, pellet-based. Most people don't use a lot of live food just for the fact that most of the time when you get live food, there could be a lot of parasites, a lot of issues. So how do you feed your Bashirs? I don't think live food's needed. Uh, I, I normally feed a mixture between insects, fresh fish, and quality carnival pellets. Uh, I, you know, I'll probably feed uh, about a quarter, maybe a, a fifth of a tub, probably a tub like that. Every fi- I mean, I've got like 40 of them, so I just dump loads of that in. I feed every other day. They do something called stomach packing, where they'll eat as much food as they can, and that will keep them well fed for about two or three days, and they won't need to eat. Obviously, you've got to be careful, you know, really balance out the protein and the uh what's called the the, the fat uh content as well um just to make sure you, they don't get fatty liver disease really <laughs> yeah oh yeah they, they really suffer from fatty liver disease especially when people feed them a lot of beef and bird uh, like chicken so beef and chicken are probably some of the worst things to feed them see i know some species yeah, like like arapaima they they need the yeah. fat um yeah. some catfish absolutely need the fat i know other species uh oscars do not need the fat um, so as far as predatory species, trying to learn that their balanced diet is, uh, much more than just giving them a massive ore pellet. It's, it's, yeah. uh, definitely a learning curve. Did not know that that, uh, Bashirs need to be lean. I, I like the, 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 term stomach packing and, uh, reminds me of when Rob and I, we go to the golden corral here. Stomach packing. Stomach packing. We're good for at least four to five hours. That's right. That. We go to the local buffet and eat all the chicken and beef we can get our hands on. <laughs> Also, fatty liver disease. See that? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're very in common with these things. Yeah, so we're just like these things. So, now, I, I wouldn't say that they, they, they probably need it. They wouldn't need you know, as much fat as you know, a fair few other fish, like say the African arowana, which is constantly using up its fat reserves. Right. Because uh, it's, it's constantly swimming, grinding up its food. Uh, whereas a Bashir, I mean, yeah, not, not too fatty, but I mean, I, I can't see much more than. Uh, Oh, actually, I have to put up the stats, uh, but it's, it's not a ridiculous amount of fat they need. Well, if you're going to do a protein, like fish, extremely lean, just doing, yeah. a, you know, any white fish. Um, you mentioned chicken and beef. People do beef for, you know, discus, beef heart. I don't really know where that started, but it does, I mean, clearly works. It is uh, certainly a high fat uh, concentrate when you use, like, beef heart. So uh, every I think species I know a little is bit different. I could butcher the explanation. Butcher it, uh, please. Yes. Um, no, I worked in a, um, a fish uh, fish store, and of course, my uh, my old boss used to travel around all the time and you know find out diets. And you get like Japanese koi collect as well. But when it came to discus, uh, I think I think it's something to do with um, it was a lot of the things that the breeders started using because they wanted to pack on the the size a lot faster, uh, and they obviously supplemented that with a lot of uh, carotenoids to you know help increase colours. But it's not something you really want to do in the long term because fish don't have uh, this type of enzyme called collagenase. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and because of that, they're unable to break down the collagen in the bonds of uh, mammalian and avian meat. So um, and that's, that's what can cause uh, fatty liver disease, uh, organ degeneration, and uh, fat deposits. I mean, anytime you feed any fish, you have to ask yourself, what are you trying to do with the fish? Are you trying to change its color are you trying to get size in a uh, quicker fashion maybe you're trying to sell the fish are you trying to keep its long lifespan if you're doing a lifespan you know even if it's just a normal like flake you know say like a rainbow fish every other day is completely fine that's what i do with most of uh, my tanks depending on uh, what i have in there even betas especially betas because they they seem to carry a lot of their uh, mass and then have issues and shorten their lifespan 
So if you're keeping a fish just for the sake of having a long lifespan, you know, lower the temperature slightly, don't feed as often, and that goes for any fish, in my opinion. But, yeah, you know, be, beef heart, I've heard <clears throat> color properties as well. And I've also heard, too, you know, to get a, your pears into breeding condition and stuff, um, I've heard that also. Uh, do do the um, pickers, how am I pronouncing this wrong? Pickers. <laughs> He's oh. doing it on purpose. Bashir. Bashir. <laughs> do you... <laughs> Do you feed any like frozen bloodworms or, or frozen brine shrimp? Will they take take that? Oh yeah, they'll, they'll eat pretty much anything. They're, they're so opportunistic. You can give them a fucking hamburger and they'll eat it. Really? Uh, and they, they, yeah, they wouldn't leave any. I mean, I've not tried it, but I mean, they they will. I mean, they they, they eat like uh, spirulina pellets, all sorts. Yeah. So yeah, they're, 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 they're not kind, of, kind, kind of a scavenger by nature. Pretty much eat whatever you throw at them. Yeah, scav- I mean, they'll scavenge. They'll hunt. They, they'll yeah. As long as they it's something they think is fairly edible, they'll they'll go for it. I'm kind of the same way. Do you have any problems uh, after when breeding and just having freshly hatched um, bashirs? Do you have any problems feeding? <laughs> like uh, with arowana, for instance, uh, you get an arowana, it uh, hatches out of the uh, um, egg. It still has a yolk. You cannot feed them or should not feed them until the yolk is fully dissolved, right? And then afterwards, the only thing I can do for arowanas is feed them crickets because it has to move. They have, a, you know, a instinctive nature that they have to have it move. So you have to almost acclimate them into normal food. So you use crickets. You essentially wean them out of crickets. You try to use um, krill, small uh, freeze-dried krill. And I always use it, like, either on a, a piece of string or a tweezer long tweezer and try to acclimate the movement motion so they hit it but is there any difficulties with small bashirs yeah there's there's huge difficulties with it i mean I, I've, I've not even bred bashirs myself um but i i know a fair few people that have it's not something i've really attempted yet but uh uh yeah i've always been told that you just feed small micro crustaceans uh small you know inverts really uh and and they will take it but uh there's a mistake one of my friends, uh, uh, he fed brine shrimp. Of course, he made the mistake he didn't even uh, take out the brine. So as he put it in, he ended up killing quite a lot of them. Uh, but they've been breeding all, you know, all the bloody time. I think he gets like hundreds of them you know, per batch. So yeah, they, are, they are quite difficult to raise. I think it was uh, Dr. Ralph Britt uh, and his partner, I think Rita, uh, they bred ropefish in the 90s, uh, and they had trouble rearing them. And I don't think no fry has, has lived past a year old, possibly even no more than eight months old for rope fish so they're you know all still commercially well caught at the moment really yeah what a what a challenge no wonder yeah, the price uh, is so high yeah that's something a lot of people are trying to breed at the moment but uh i mean there's successful breeding and successful spawning but not really successful rearing of the fry yet so how how big are fry are they quite tiny when they're uh when they're hatched or is it something like you know arowana are pretty sizable when they're uh, just hatched no, they're tiny. No, Bashirs are tiny. So they come out they're millimeters. Daphnia feeding, I'm assuming, would be an idea, like live cultures. Yeah. Daphnia is perfect. And how many how many babies do they have at a crack? And 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 what what can you tell us about the the breeding aspect of them? Are they are they laying eggs? That and what music gets them in the mood? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I don't know about music. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be ah oh, Christ. What's his name now? Um. 
guy who done the music for Tarzan and oh, Phil Collins. It's yeah, it's Phil, Phil Collins. Collins. That's, that's going to be the one. Some Phil Collins music right here. Right here. So just play Phil Collins um, and they'll just start breeding for you. Now, um, breeding with them is, is fairly easy. I mean, you, you get a male. Most males will become sexually mature in about a year, maybe two, and they'll start doing something with their anal fin called cupping. Uh, and they tr- they literally do that. That's, that's sort of what stimulates them. Uh, and they end up releasing their uh, their sperm, like their milk, their fucking who cares, their sperm into you know this little cup out of their anal fin. And uh, what they do is they uh, wrap that round the female's anal fin. Uh, and if she's willing, she will release the eggs into that anal fin, into his anal fin. He will uh, uh, he will fertilize them, and then he will scatter the eggs into some plants. Uh, and they normally hatch within a fair few days. Wow, what a process! Yeah, it's like a yeah. it's like a pass off. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like trial and, uh, abandonment. Isn't it? Yeah, they uh, they won't even look after them, and if they find them, a lot of the time they'll just eat the fry. So they're not bad the best parents. parents. Bad parents. How, how long does it take for the yeah. for the fry to uh, to hatch and develop? On average, Ooh, I can't remember off by heart. Um, I think it's barely under a week. I know, I'll have to check. I, I can't remember off by heart. I've got a documented breeding record of them. Um, I'll have to check that. But yeah, he'll no, have to it, check it's, his it's handbook. <laughs> oh mate, that's been fun making. Wah, wah, now, um, there is something really cool about that, though, by the way. Uh, when it comes to the eggs, something that was, I think, only published in 2017. Um, so Robert Cerny, Professor Robert Cerny from... Fuck me, what's it called? Sorry, mate, I've been drinking too much at the moment. Uh, from this really good university. I'll just say that. Uh, he <laughs> really good university. Uh, yeah, really good university. Fuck, what's it called? Oh, this is really bugging me now. Hold it's on. a top university. I have the email. I have the email. Two thousand years later okay now the email's not loading we put them on the spot put them how, on how the dare spot. we we can edit stuff don't yeah, worry this about is, it this is editable right we, scrap we edit stuff all the time i shouldn't say we are you're gonna done. put this in raw i know it you bastards <laughs> <laughs> you know we might play the theme from jeopardy right here too oh please don't please don't <laughs> <laughs> we do that to adam all the time it's kind of fun it for, is, for it, us it is fun yes well while you're looking that up I know there's uh, in the common fish market we see what like four species on fish lists. Uh, we see the um, we only go by common names: ornate, dinosaur. Yep. I, I think there's like a albino we see in the list traditionally. Albino dinosaur. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the last one. My mind's uh, gone. Oh, Barney. I think the snake skin one. I think is just the ornate, and they just give it the terrible name. What What's some of the other species you see commonly? Oh Christ! Um, I found the university, by the way. Oh, it's Charles that University in Prague. Fucking knew it. There we go. Right. Anyway, about the species. Um, there's currently. I mean, they're always changing. Uh, there's 13 species. Uh, Christ, I can do them off my heart now. There's the Senegal Bashir, uh, which is the one you probably call the dinosaur Bashir. You right. get like uh, albino variations, platinums, a lot. Right. Uh, you've got Tagelsi, which is like this. It's, it's like the ornate Bashir. Um, gets around 30 inches. Very colourful. Uh, absolute cut. It will bite pretty much any other tag machine you've got in there. Uh, there's the ornate, uh, there's the endless cherry, Moklembembe, Retropinus, Delhizi, Palmus, which did used to have a subspecies. Is that one then fish that you just named right there? Which one? The la- you, you just listed off a bunch of stuff? I don't want to know if that's like one full scientific oh, no, name. No, that's, that's, multiple no, ones. No, that's, that's okay, multiple. including the Retropinus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you made me... Uh... <laughs> Who's it? Retro penis. Retro I, I can't penis. unhear it. Can't unhear it. But no, they're, uh, <laughs> they're like six. 
I say small one, but I mean, they're still like 16 inch. I mean, come on. Re- I mean, a, a retro penis like that's fair size, but it's the girth on it isn't really anything to be proud of. It's not so much the girth, it's the length. <laughs> I'm having so no. much fun today. <laughs> that's oh. the main thing. Now, hold on. About those eggs quick before I bloody forget. Yes, yeah, so let's, let's really get that, and then I have more uh, immature questions. Oh, no worry. Right. Uh, so these eggs. Um, I'm trying to think what I was going to say now. Uh, right. So. There's, they've got uh, Bashir's have pre-vertebrate features. This is something, I mean, this is exclusive for you now, really. I mean, it's, it's going in the book. But uh, they've got these pre-vertebrate, uh, pre-vertebrate features uh, in their eggs, which uh, they sort of develop these things uh, called, where is it? It's bloody annoying now. Cement glands, that's it. These adhesive organs. Uh, and it's just the way these cement glands form, which this, is how, this helps them sort of stick to the plants. And it's the way these cement glands form, which is uh, something that shows that they're very comparable to other other well, pre-vertebrates, really. So it's, so it's, it's not a loose scatter. It's, it's a sticky scatter. It. It's an adhesive scatter. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Yeah, pretty much that, yeah. So in breeding these, do you want to have, like, for instance, angelfish, discus, you want to have, like, a slate or something or a leafy plant so they can go on? So these, again, are, are bottom-dwelling uh, fish. So do you want to have caves? Do you want to have objects? What would you need for them to uh, encourage the, you know, scattering scatter? of eggs? Honestly, all you need is uh, something like AstroTurf. Silicone, a bit of AstroTurf, plastic AstroTurf. Really? Uh, to some slate and put it in the tank. Yeah. That seems to be the most successful. AstroTurf. Just kind of grippy, uh, kind of like a grassy yeah. mess. Do yeah. the eggs fall put down into the AstroTurf? So yeah. they don't, so they'll don't... fall right in, and you can pick it up, uh, take the eggs out, put them in a, a separate breeding tank, and yeah, then just grow them out. If you guys are looking to purchase a piece of AstroTurf, there is... Coated and uncoated. So make sure to do your homework if you're going to buy AstroTurf. I know this because <laughs> of other projects I've tried to do. So uh, check uh, check your AstroTurf. But that uh, that's fascinating. Just uh, get they're, your, they're, your aquarium safe AstroTurf. The dinos that look Definitely. like phalluses are football fans and like to dump eggs in AstroTurf. Who Tot- knew? Totally makes sense. I'm I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm fascinated. So what is like the rarest, hardest to find species? Or most expensive species? Because we're going to have questions on this for sure. Oh, right. Uh, there's one called P. Bashir, uh, Polyterus Bashir. It did just be called PBB, which is the Nile Bashir. That was the first one that was discovered. Uh, the most expensive one of them, it was from Lake Turkana, and I think it sold for around $8,000, something something along the lines of that. Um, I don't think you pay that much for them at the moment, but yeah. Uh, a lot of them have these beautiful spoon head shapes, Turkana PBB. It was probably a lot more than that, actually, thinking about it. I can't remember how much it was off by heart, but it, it was a lot. Uh, it was sold to, uh, I think it was some guy in Japan. Uh, this, yeah, just big wig in Japan. So, so these things are yeah. not readily available. This is kind of like a one-time deal. Oh, yeah. Ones from Lake Takana are fairly hard to come by. Uh, it's getting better at the moment, but it's just da- it's just very dangerous to collect from Lake Takana at the moment. I mean, I know some people that have gone there with armed guards just to get, you know, just to... Just get fish. I'm assuming, so, is it because of hippos? Is it because of crocs? No, uh, I think there's an ongoing civil war in Kenya around there. And because of that, there's a lot of conflict around there. You've got pirates on the lake. I mean, it's only a shallow lake, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's exploited quite a lot. Wow. You figure that would change, you know, as decades roll on. So how long ago was this that it was uh, that popularized or, or actually sold and collected? Because I'm assuming that this war hasn't lasted forever. I, I wouldn't know off by heart with that one. Interesting. But, I got to yeah, look it's... that up to see if, you know, there's a 
coming uh, end to the war or how long that war has gone on because that'll that'll certainly raise the price and then maybe see like was it 90s when it was available interesting yeah i mean you can still go there now it's, it's i think it's been put on a, uh, the lake's been put on a, the world heritage danger list at the moment so we're not sure how many more exports we're going to get out of uh, lake Tacana at the moment but i mean i've seen a fair few come out fairly recently uh, there's like the senegal bashir in lake Tacana. So you know Senegal bushes. People tend, you know, tend to think they're the smallest ones. The dinosaur bushes. They get like eight or nine inch. No, but they get they can get like fifteen or so inch uh, wild caught and captive bred. But the ones from Lake Tacana, the Senegal ones, uh, they can get you know over twenty inch. So that they get and they have like a really beautiful flat head too, just like the uh, the uh, PBB. So it's really nice. I, I even looked it up, and there's not even hardly any uh, photos of this. I think they have a drawing. <laughs> Of a sunny gill, so there's just not a lot of information on this. Uh, tell you what, if you put in uh, sunny, I tell you, I'll Google it myself. Sunny gill Bashir, Lake Takana, and I'll point out which image it is. Because uh, there is one. There's a huge one in a display display lake, uh, display tank. Sorry. And so most of these uh, mo- most of these fish that we're we're talking about aren't even available to the general public, unless you've got connections with private uh, collectors and that sort of thing. Or you ask Josh really, really nicely. Yeah, and he's got an armed guard and goes over there. <laughs> exactly. His his beard of knowledge. Uh, By the way, for those that are listening, this dude has, like, the uh, Oak Ridge Boys beard. It's very, we're very proud of it. We're, we're jealous, frankly. It's coming on. <laughs> Clearly there. I, I want a proper Gandalf beard. I mean, right down to my belly button. It is God, literally Gandalf my... style. Yeah, little ZZ top going on. ZZ top, there you go. Oh, I always get that. I walk honestly. I walk down bloody Falmouth or you know wherever in Cornwall where I am, and uh, there's always people shouting out ZZ top all the time. You have to wear the sunglasses and whatnot. I do. We should put some ZZ top in right here. Just jam it. <laughs> so we went through feeding. We went through some of the uh, specialty care, but I, I feel like there's a lot of specialty care that goes on with this uh, particular species, mainly because I'm looking over your lists on the uh, the website. So just to go over a few of these, it says best not to kept in, on gravel. Why is that? Right. Uh, well, they're borrowers. Um, I, they can end up damaging their uh their tubular nares that, that you know more or less you know little nostrils um they can damage them quite a lot also they feed using something called inertial suction um so whenever they open their food they suck in you know food like a vacuum and they often suck in the stones as well with them most of the time they'll just spit out those stones and it's it's not a problem but every now and then you know because you know how op- you know opportunistic bashirs can be they end up swallowing that stone uh and that can cause things like fatal impaction you, you get it a lot with uh catfish in uh, African clawed frogs and things like that, which is why you're supposed to keep them on sand or bare bottom. Uh, but obviously, Bashirs, they have, uh, like, uh, their ganoid scales are quite locked in place, uh, you know, and they've got you know, fairly inflexible scales. So because of that, uh, they can only poo things that are limited size. Uh, so uh, they can't really excrete out uh, large stones just because of, you know, how locked in place their scales are. So uh, that causes, you know, fatal blockages, things like that. So... Uh, they don't exactly. It's rare, but they don't it's, exactly it's do constipation really surgery on a Bashir. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, you probably would have to do that to be fair. But I mean, I, I, I don't know many cases where they have died from that. Uh, I mean, I, I know enough, but it's not something that happens that often. So you can get away with having Bashirs on gravel for a fairly long time because they just spit it out for the most part. But if you know where you can help it, uh, definitely put them on sand. 
uh, and I probably wouldn't even go bare bottom, you know, if you can help that as well either, because uh, the substrate is almost acts like a traction to slow them down because, you know, they dart across. Don't forget, they like to burrow a lot as well, and they dig for snails too. They like to eat for snails, you know, burrow in the gravel and all sorts like that. So, yeah, no, uh, substrate sand is always the best. I, mean, I know some people that use cat litter as well, cat litter substrate. What? So that's another. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really popular. But uh, probably the most popular, it's though, popular. is like red garnet sand. And, yeah, yeah, honestly, join like Bashir groups. There's people that got fucking cat litter. Tidy cats great, need, but... needs to call us. We need to we need to work out a special cat litter just for Bashirs. I'm thinking they might have a little bit different type of cat litter in the UK than we do. Apparently, I, I need to know what's up there. Our cat litter has no, like crystals is... and shit, and it smells. I think nice. this is more like Southeast Asia, really. Um, but I, I know so many people that feed cat food too, like the fish cat food, like Origin, I think it's called, and that's really popular because apparently it's, it's a similar quality to some. Well, apparently a better quality than. Uh, aquarium uh predatory pellets but i mean i've, I've not fed it myself so i, I can't really very it, very weird probably a lot cheaper yeah yeah so oh, yeah, on, very, i think that was the main thing why people feed them as well moving on to cheap. some of your list the, this is what you guys list as the essentials to know before you buy and i find this fascinating you already mentioned don't feed fatty foods if you can help it but also list oily foods why Right. Well, there's, uh, the main reason for that was because it just leaves, it leaves an oily slick on the surface. I mean, that that video is completely dated. I I say fuck it, feed oily foods. Just have a surface skimmer or make sure it sort of dissipates because when they go up for air, they uh, they breathe with their spiracles, uh, and obviously because that I mean the oil could end up you know causing issues, lining their lungs or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not a vet, so so that but it does cause issues. They're closer to a beta that actually breathe from the surface from time to time. Yeah, they uh, they have proper lungs. Um, so their their lungs um, have been adapted almost like a swim bladder. Uh, they've got like one longer lung. Um, a lot of people make comparisons with them with uh, lobe thin fish. I think one of the vets that's been helping out with the book called Dr. Gottstadisman, uh, he's been putting forward the argument that Bashirs aren't actually ray fin fish, that they're rather lobe thin fish. And he's compiled this huge amount of data. Uh, and it's a, re- it's a really convincing argument. But it just needs, I mean, that's not the consensus at the moment. It's not the scientific consensus. But, uh, yeah, it's its really interesting. Uh, even Emily Standen as well has been helping out with the book. Uh, she sort of uses them as a comparison for lobe fin fish. But she says, no, they are really a basal ray fin fish. We were talking about food, weren't we? Food. Yeah, oily foods is good. It's fine. I mean, that, that video is super dated. Like, I've, I've in the comment section on that video, I've sort of put, like, updates and changes since that video. Well, yeah. keeping going down the list, we, they also list don't have placos yeah. for tank mates. Now, you, you put on here, uh, they uh, get addicted? Uh, what's going on? Right. Um, so I've been working with a few uh, bloody people with this. So it's so weird. It's so weird. So uh, Bashirs have uh, ganoid scale, you know, uh, ganoid scales, aren't they? Uh, which is like a type of um, uh, inorganic bone salt, uh, which apparently, uh, I haven't been able to verify this, um, but, you know, the people who've been helping out with the book sort of say, you know, act with caution anyway, um, because it may make their slime coat slightly salty. And anything that has um, anything, that, uh, you know, suckers, uh, flag tails, cynodontists as well, uh, they tend to feed on that slime coat quite a lot. Uh, and because of that, you end up losing quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of the shears. I mean, plex are great fish, um, but they're one of the things that, you know, toothless plex especially, you kind of want to, you know, at the caution, you don't want to always put them with them. Uh, that's fascinating to me. Now, I've had issues with 
certain placo varieties go after certain species of fish, and this maybe could explain that. But I know that the placo varieties have a very um, varying diet. So I would like to have like some trial and error. I know it sounds uh, inhumane taking a, you know, a, a Bashir and putting it with a placo just for research. But I suspect that some breeds are going to do this where others won't. For instance, I believe that clown placos will not do that. Clown placos are a vivacious wood bur- uh, burrowing species. I have a clown placo on hand. I've had them for a long time. And they won't eat certain algaes. They will not eat certain pellets. But if you have a piece of wood on it, they will tear it up into pieces. So find a placo that has a different diet if you're going to try it. Otherwise, you know, be warned that this is <laughs> addicted to the to the scales of the yeah. slime coat. Yeah, it's one of those things where, it, like I said, it is trial and error. Uh, you get it a lot on the uh, the Facebook groups. I see it almost every week where a, a Bashir ends up, you know, having its slime coat just stripped by some plex, large plex, even small plex. Uh, but it's it's a lot of the toothless ones that do the most damage. And cyanodontists, I'd probably say, are worse than plex completely. Um, but again, it all varies on species. I don't know enough about uh, individual species of plex or individual species of cyanos. I can only sort of report what I've seen with it, you know. So it's uh, it's one of those things where trial and error depends on the species. If you're, you know, fully aware of what species of plate you've got, by all means, you know, for the most part, it probably won't happen. I, I used to if have a ton of angelfish pears, and one time I, I threw in, like, three Chinese algae eaters in per tank, and when I came back after the weekend, they had stripped the slime coating off my angelfish and had killed at least one of each fish in each pair, and I was just devastated. And just watching them, they went right after the body slime. And they sat there and, and sucked on the side of these fish until they killed them. Yeah, Chinese algae eaters are known for that, and also fake Siamese algae eaters. They get very aggressive fin nipping, and then they'll start sucking slime coats off of anything. So when you get uh, SAE, make sure you're getting the real ones. Yes. So uh, going down to your list again, we, we mentioned uh, we when we first started the podcast, tank mates and whatnot, and how I was leery about it. There's one specific one on the list that I found very fascinating. It says, take care when mixing stingrays. So mm. what's happening there? Uh, it's, it's it's one of those things, again, where sometimes it works. A lot of the times it doesn't. Well, that, that's an expensive trial right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Um, there's some people that swear by it. It's perfectly fine. Um, but from what I've seen, uh, the most part, it, it, it can go quite horribly wrong. Bashirs, big, small. Uh, I mean, one of my friends, I won't name at the moment, but uh, he he got a small little Senegal Bashir to go in with his stingray and ended up death rolling the skin completely off of, you know, one part of his back. Uh, and the ray, unfortunately, died. Uh, there's another video that's surfacing around at the moment where a stingray completely pounced on top of a, um, a Bashir. I'll, I'll send you that one, actually. It's fucking horrible. But yeah, stingray jumps on top of it, pins it down, pretty much drowns it and tries to eat it. Uh, there's other ones. There's another one where uh, a Bashir um, was, you know, chewing chunks off of a uh, um, of stingray, and, but yeah, it can be hit or miss. Or my friend uh, uh, Hampus Hertzman on his YouTube channel, he's got one where the stingray just tagged the uh, tagged the uh, the Bashir, it went right through its um right through its armor. Uh, the Bashir died. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's going to be a risk putting them together. I mean, probably a, more of a risk than mixing other types of predatory fish together. So it's one of those ones where you sort of want to. Go with caution. If possible, try not to do it. So, well, the if you've got multiple, I'm think, thinking this should be maybe like a species-only tank. Are they predatory towards each other? Yeah. 
they can be very predatory. Um, so when they're around about seven or so inches, I mean, it depends species, you know, reach maturity at different sizes, uh, but they produce this type of growth hormone that released into the water. I mean, you have to check me for the notes to find out what exactly that hormone is called. Uh, but um, it sort of alerts the other tank mates that this is a juvenile. I mean, it's juvenile hormones. So because of that, the Bashirs uh, in the captive environment end up thinking, oh, oh, fuck, you know, this is potential competition, and they eat the, the juveniles. Uh, and it happens a lot, which is why you can keep Bashirs together, um, and there's not a huge risk. But the moment you put one uh, juvenile in with some adults, uh, the adults will very likely eat the juvenile. And when you're keeping juveniles together, the juveniles will likely eat the other juveniles, cannibalize them. Uh, but you can keep, you know, I mean, I, I, you can keep some, you know, eight or nine inch with like two and a half foot long, you know, for sheer. And there's barely much, I mean, it's still some risk, but it's a lot lower risk than, say, keeping a five inch per sheer with an eight inch per sheer just because of the juvenile hormones and yeah, that's, weird stuff. That's fascinating. Well, before we continue, I'm just going to go over questions because we're doing this uh, podcast live on our Discord channel. If you'd like to join the podcast live, go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the bottom of the website, you will find a link to Discord. It's a easy-to-use chat clients where all our fans are, where you can get your questions answered about your own fish hobby. Um, again, we're doing this live. So questions that we have, um, number one is pure cat litter is sold in the U.S., and it's very cheap. So it's pure cat litter, not with all the crystals and other garbage in it. Um, Imagine that's what they mean. Um, when did they start saying by shears where the extra R came in? It doesn't make sense to me. I'm so angry. <laughs> um, B, he spells it B-I-R-C-H-I-R-S. I, I just feel that's people being lazy, unless you know of where the extra R always comes in when people try to butcher the name. No idea about that. Uh, it happens a lot in the UK. For some reason, in the UK, people go around saying... Bircher a lot, but I just feel like where did the other R come from? As far as the visual, like I quickly glanced at the word without taking a minute. It's not a word I recognize. It's very close to like a birch tree. I'm just used to having that R there. B I C H. Oh, that's definitely a tree. But next question is: Do uh, Bashirs require heaters? And um, are there any s small Bashirs out there? Uh, yeah, it completely depends on what part of the world you're in. Um, I mean, they prefer anywhere between 24 to 29, um, sometimes 30. Uh, I mean, they're, when it comes to keeping Bashirs, they're, they're super easy. So uh, despite all those, you know, fancy bloody rules, uh, I mean, they're not fussy at all. Um, so, so You said 24 Celsius? Because I have to do the conversion here because I'm, you know, mentally ah, yeah, handicapped. 24 Celsius to, say, 29, 30 Celsius. So you're looking at 75 so, degrees all the way up to, like, 80... 8485. So you got to keep them decently warm. And the uh, the smallest species is Polyterus moklembembe. So it's just that moklembembe bashir. They only get, they reach between 9 to 14 inch. What's the common uh, name for that is, species? Say again? What's the common name for that species? Uh, it's just called moklembembe. There's not really a common name for it, but it's it's more or less named after that mythical sauropod creature. Uh, so yeah, just moklembembe. But yeah, uh, 9 to 14 inch they'll get, which is just an inch shy uh, of what most Senegal bushes will get into 15 inch. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very slow growing, really shy, don't really eat a hell of a lot. They're primarily insectivores, but they also act like piscivores as well. It, it depends on where in the Congo you found them. Now, the, most of the ones that we can get here in the US come to us about 
I want to say somewhere between the three to four inch range. How long does it take them to get to, into adulthood? Do they grow very quickly? Uh, or is it all about how, the, how much you feed them? It, it, again, it depends on diet, but they, they can grow very fast. I mean, some of them could grow from a quarter of an inch a month to three inch a month up until a certain, you know, 12 to 14 inch or so. Uh, and it just gets progressively slower each year. They can live in excess 40 years. So, uh, 40? And Four zero. Yeah, 40 years. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the oldest on record, official record, I think was 38 years old. Um, but I heard someone really fairly recently in the group claim to have one about 39 years old. Uh, obviously, we're taking much better care of them now. Um, I mean, they've only recently grown in popularity in the hobby, um, I think in the last, what, 20 odd years, something like that. So now a lot more people are having bigger tanks. They're understanding how to care for them better. So I think the lifespan is going to go beyond what we've seen so far. So over 40. That's incredible. Yeah. That's like goldfish level right there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, they can get uh, stupidly big sizes as well, some of them. Um, I mean, say the two largest species are Ansorgi Bashir and the Kongi Bashir, the giant Bashir. Uh, they can get about, uh, I think the largest reported size I've heard is just over a meter long. For uh, both of them. So three feet long. So, Holy crap. So the next yeah. question we have from one of our listeners is, what is the species you recommend for someone that's beginning for the first time? Oh, poly. 100%. Poly, Sandy, uh, poly is lovely. Uh, very active. Uh, eats a lot. Fairly interactive as well. Um, don't get very big. Again, around about 15 or so inch. But that that is best case scenario. I mean, you could probably expect them to get around yeah, a foot long. Um, so on the lower end of the size scale, uh, care is again, relatively easy. pH is neutral. Um, but they'll have anywhere between six. Um, I know some Bashirs can go up to pH of 10. What's the common uh, I mean, name? The common name for poly Bashir, uh, poles Bashir or marbled Bashir. Gotcha. So, uh, you put them on red sand, uh, they come up with this beautiful green shimmer and black sand as well. Um, but red sand really, really brings out everything on. So, yeah, colors are fantastic. Um, I'd say retro pinnace is another good one. They can be a little bit sensitive, but they don't get very big. They like to be in groups. Delhezi is another great one. In fact, that's probably a lot of people's favorites. Uh, I mean, there's so much variation in Delhezi. Senegal is another one. Most people know Senegal anyway. Moklen Bembe is a great one. They're shy, but small, easy to keep. What's the uh, one that you caution one, my, people that they just probably should never touch or only the experts should go? Like the, the most difficult species? I mean, none really. They're all, as long as you've got a big tank, they're all easy to keep, I'd say. Um, in fact, the hardest, um, the hardest polyterid to keep, I'd say, is the ropefish. And they're not really that hard to keep. I mean, they, they can be quite sensitive and uh, mostly because of how they're caught. I know uh, a lot of them are caught, wild caught through soap pumping. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of them end up dying. Uh, but other than that, no, they're, they're fairly easy, you know, group of fish to keep. So what type of pumping do you collect these fish at? You said some pumping? Say again, sorry? How do you... Oh, no, no. Um, so when some of them are collected, especially the rope fish, some of them are, uh, there's like soap that's pumped into the water to force them to surface up. Uh, and that obviously strips a lot of their gills. And unfortunately, a lot of them are struggle to breathe and die. Oh. They get it with cyanide as well. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, I've always I've and, heard of uh, cyanide with with uh, saltwater fish stuff, but I've never heard of the soap. Yeah, the soap one's bloody horrible for freshwater. Um, I was I, I was going to order some a while back. There used to be a website in the UK called discountfish.co.uk. Uh, no idea what it's called now. Um, but yeah, I emailed them saying, oh, "Have you got any rope fish in stock?" And they said, "Oh, we, we've stopped 
trading them now because we found out that our suppliers used to pump soap into the water to catch them uh, to get them from the surface. So because of that, we don't sell them anymore. I was like, oh, well, fair play. Cheers for letting me know. So, I mean, that's, that's all I know about that. I mean, I've never been able to find any more information on it, but that's just something that Discount Fish have said. More secrets so, you won't uh, you won't stuff. hear on other hobby places. You know, I, I've had a lot of a lot of people too that had have bought saltwater fish. They've been fine for a week or two, and all of a sudden they'll be swimming and just float to the top and die. And that's just the cyanide that they're collected with has finally gotten yeah, to 90, them. It's ninety percent, I think. Ninety percent of all aquarium fish caught with cyanide will die. Yeah, and it, and it can that's happen right. immediately. It can happen a month from now. Yeah, yeah well, maybe that explains this issue. So we have one more uh, listener. A family member called me about a Bashir, uh, bringing a Bashir home, and it died 30 minutes of getting it in the tank. Uh, does it need circul- certain acclimation process, or are they sensitive to certain water parameters in general? Uh, it looks like, like uh, hemorrhaging under the skin. Ooh. Uh, that's, that's tricky to say. I mean, it, that it is could tricky. depend on acclimating it, or it could be, yeah, or it could just been how, how it was caught, really. Um but yeah, if there's hemorrhaging under the skin, I know a lot of uh, Bashirs can suffer from uh, set, things like septicemia and things like that. But that's, that normally happens in extremely overcrowded conditions. But then again, it could have got that because I know a lot of, uh, a lot of Indonesian um, bread species or some that are kept in vats in Nigeria, they are kept in such cramped conditions uh, right before they're shipped. So it could have possibly developed septicemia before. And then when it arrived, uh, it wasn't in the best condition. It could have died. But uh, again, I'm... I'm of vets, so don't don't trust my any of my diagnoses. So it is very hard. We're, that's, we're, that's just my opinion. Anybody that send, sends us information about, hey, what do you think happened to my fish? It is it, it's all just us giving a best guess. We we don't yeah. know until we get there. And most of the time, if a hobbyist walks in, looks at your tank, and goes, oh well, that's why. You know, so don't take any of the uh, um, information that we're uh, saying to heart. It may be many different reasons that we can't go, but that these are some of them. And uh, didn't know the cyanide thing, and I mean cyanide does cause hemorrhaging, so that's that's a weird weird coincidence that we're talking about it. Are you Russian or what? What are you saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> right. <laughs> I've recently got in contact with a fisherman called Ingandu. I'm not sure if I pronounced his name right. Ingardo. Uh, he's this Cameroonian fisherman uh, that's been sending me a lot of information about how he catches bashirs in the wild. And one of the methods he uses is uh, this type of uh, potato-like plant. I can't remember the name escapes me now. Um, but he turns it into this thing called fufu, which is like a staple food for Cameroonians. Um, and uh, what they do is normally when you turn this uh, this sort of potato-like thing into fufu, yeah, it gets rid of a lot of the cyanide, but there's still some degree of cyanide in there. So they take this, you know, mashed fufu, uh, and they you know whisk it through the water. You know, especially not they do it mostly in like the flood lakes. So when say like you know the lakes overspill, a lot of the bashirs will end up. You know, the larger bashirs and some of the smaller bashirs will end up leaving the lake uh, and travelling down river. Uh, and then when they start to return, the larger ones are the main ones that return. So as they're returning back to the lake, what they do is they set up barrier traps. The barrier trap name because of the name or something like that. But the barrier traps all the way around the lake. Uh, and to encourage them to go in the lake right away to be able to catch them through those net, uh, through those barrier traps, they start washing this fufu in the water. Obviously, the, the fish rarely come into proper contact with it, but they end up swimming away from it directly into the barrier traps. So uh, it's just a way of guiding them in there. But there is a degree of cyanide in there, but I, I don't think the, the levels are high enough for them uh, you know, to suffer anything they can't recover from you know, shortly after. Uh, but again, it, when it comes to sustainable and ethical fishing uh, in places like Cameroon, Obviously, 
you know, being sustainable isn't the, you know, the highest concern at the moment. I mean, there's, again, there's an ongoing civil war there as well. So uh, uh, a lot of people have lost their lives. Um, uh, and yeah, people are being butchered on the streets. It's, yeah, it's, it's not the nicest thing. It's horrible. Uh, but the, like I said, they do, yeah, they do try their best, though, to make sure that they can always return to that spot the following season. So, uh, I mean, I know Ngandu says he doesn't collect anything over, I think, 80 centimetres and anything under, I think, 15 centimetres, something along the lines of that. I can't remember the exact figures, but it's to make sure he respects the largest in the lake uh, and allows time for the youngest to grow. Man, after we uh, do this podcast for a while, Jimmy, I think that we should have uh, a podcast where we just list off what we've uh, learned on where these fish come from. Having knowledge of how your fish are harvested, bred, or captive, uh, captively raised, a- any information is, is gold. I mean, the stories that we told people, we had a podcast that we did. It was called Sucks the Podcast. It was just an episode we did, and it was just us saying the things that people won't on YouTube or other content creators won't because it, it, creates, it creates controversy or maybe you know it enrages a PETA enthusiast. And we talked about, you know, real issues of the hobby and, you know, practical ways of how people get around them. And one of them was the betas. I mean, for many years, you told me this, Jimmy, and I definitely confirmed that, you know, betas were shipped because, again, betas have been bred for a long time. Betas are shipped on wet paper towels. Layers of wet paper towel. You just stack a bunch of moist paper towels and because they could technically breathe, through, maybe through the paper towel, they, that's how they would ship them efficiently. So since then, you know, um, people have discovered this, animal rights groups, whatever else, and now they're, you know, shipped in plastic bags like any other fish. They're smaller. They're intended, <laughs> excuse me, they're intended to have an air pocket uh, made for the beta. They rebag them, you know, every three days if there's any issues. And it's a much more humane process. But just like you said, the rope fish and the cyanide, you know, identifying that more people know about it means we can find better ways to change it. You know, and in this day and age with cyanide, I mean, first of all, it's not good for people, and it's not good for your water, it's not good for your fish, but yet we they're still using it. And, uh, you know, there's been some stories about uh, the Aborigines and stuff who've used different berries and stuff, which have a very high toxicity to fish. And, uh, you know, it's just different things that they've come up with over the years that works for them because they're in third world countries, and they're just trying to make a living. And I mean, yeah. to that point, you can kind of understand it, but um, to keep putting cyanide in the water, I mean, that water's going downstream and eventually somebody's going to drink it and uh, it's not good for anybody. It's not the best, is it? Well, I think that's bad as well. In Indonesia, um, again, obviously I'm hearing this sort of secondhand from my, my boss who used to travel there. Uh, on the beaches in Indonesia, they've got these uh, like aquarium stools, these little markets. Uh, and because they've got right at the bottom of the beach, uh, they have these... Um, uh, these little areas sectioned off where they're growing corals. Uh, so, you know, what they what they would do is uh, they would go down to the beach, pick up all of the corals that they've raised, uh, they'd bring them up to the stool, uh, and they'd, you know, sell them there out of the water on the on these stools. And because of this, they can't be asked, like, they will not walk back down to the beach uh, at the end of the day to put them back in them, uh, back in the water. Uh, they end up throwing them over the fence. And my boss said he saw this huge, like, pile of just dead corals. Coral skeletons, loads of them because they couldn't be asked to walk down to the end of the beach. What the heck? That's unbelievable. So confused. 
It's awful. Well, let's get some. Let's, let's get on a happier note. You know, we 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 spun that down to a very dark place. So let's get on a happy note and talk about uh, diseases. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that's what, a highlight of my day. What's common health issues that you see? Generally, when I've had uh, you know Bashirs in, in the past and helped other people, they're extremely hardy. Um, I don't want to use the word yeah. bulletproof, but I mean these things are chunky dinosaurs at the bottom of your tank. It takes quite a bit, in my experience, to kill these things. But what are some of the common illnesses or issues that you see with uh, these types of fish? Well, I think due to the nature of, of where you find them uh, and how competitive it is, they, they have to do their best to hide disease well. So uh, normally when you start to see symptoms on a Bashir, it, it normally may be too late to treat. Uh, because, I mean, it's always worth treating anyway, but you can end up losing the fish once you start to see symptoms. Yeah, like I said, they're not bulletproof. Things will affect them. Uh, probably one of the most common diseases, well, more, more parasite really, is, is Macrogyrodactylus polyteri, which is uh, uh, this type of worm, a uh, type of parasitic worm that will uh, attach themselves to the gills, uh, to the eyes, will spread all over them, uh, and it ends up causing all sorts of scarring. The parasite itself won't kill the fish, but it's the scarring that invites pathogens and the disease that it also brings about. Uh, and, yeah, they're absolute cunt to kill it's it's so hard uh most people that have been keeping polys for at least two three four years um i mean they, they've probably been hit by it uh they're, they're sort of don't seem they look like these tiny little fine hairs that have a little, a little black gut uh horrible little things um but yeah they're, they're a pain to kill um so that's that that's fairly common um I think what else is there? I mean, they get cloudy eye a lot, but that's because every now and then they might bite each other, scratch the eye, pathogens, all that lot. Um, but yeah, the main one really is probably Macrogyrodactylus, that genus of parasitic worm. I've only uh, heard there's, this. There's multiple species, but it only affects uh, uh, polyterids. I've only heard this once before, and I thought it was for rope fish, but uh, that, that makes sense. How do you? What do you treat yeah. with that? Is there anything? Malachite uh, green, actually... which is a band uh, now in the U.S. I've, no, I don't really use malachite, to be honest. Um, I've what? got the, the most effect. I mean, soap can kill them. Uh, but soap? Soap? Soap use all the blessed time, yes. Not soap, salt. Oh, okay. well, salt. I, I was like, we're putting Don dishwashing soap. Oh, in. see, we have a soap meme. will kill them. But we, have, we have a meme around here. If, if anything's wrong, the flow chart is start with salt, and then if it doesn't cure, go from there. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, my friend Earl, who's been helping out with the well, unfortunately he passed away last year, but uh, he used to say that put enough salt with them, it would literally fucking blow them up. Probably explode the fucking parasites, but it's not something I've not something I've tried. Um, I don't want to, you know, put a fuckload of salt in there because I've got some fish that are sensitive to it. But um, I'll pay yeah, ten it's... bucks to see that. <laughs> oh, you have sunfish with these um, guys? You said. So yeah, sunfish. There's yeah. some fish that will be sensitive to it. Oh, uh, I, I thought you said you had sunfish. Never God, mind. You are... I got excited because no, we got a lot I, of people I wish messaging sunfish. about sunfish. Apparently, we were finding out. Maybe you can you can help this. This is a tangent. But we've had uh Prezi Quantel. That's the treatment. Prezi Quantel. That's it. What the hell's that? Quantel. Oh, I, I probably it's this it, it's an ingredient that you know kills worms and flukes and things like that. But it seems to be the most effective for macrogyrodactyls. Okay. Christ. I thought you were just making stuff up now. He, he tried his <laughs> best. So maybe you can tell us. Being in UK, we have uh, one listener that messages us quite a bit. But I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback from people in the UK that love sunfish. Is that a normal yeah. thing to keep or a popular thing to keep? We, we don't understand it because we have them native here and they're tasty. That's about all we, uh, we do with them. Uh, I, don't, I've, I don't know of a single person that keeps sunfish. 
Yeah, I, I got really confused then because I thought you were talking about ocean sunfish. Are you, are you actually talking about? You're not talking about ocean sunfish. Fresh, no, water. freshwater sunfish. Freshwater. No, freshwater. I was going to fucking say they're huge. <laughs> yeah, freshwater they get, sunfish. They get big. It's yeah. like having a clam. Like I know, a... when it comes to fish, really oddballs. I know oddballs. Anything else? I'm like, what? What's what oddballs? Freshwater. I don't know. I just probably phallic, phallic fish. Really. Ah, yeah. No, I see. He had, to, he had to Google it. Had to Google just, freshwater just, sunfish. I had, I had to Google it. I, to, I recognize it now, but no, I, I mean, I don't remember ever importing them. They're See, delicious. They're delicious. Wonderful white fish. Yeah. Great with shore lunch and a fry pan. There we go. Right. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's a thing over here. Another question we have. Might from, be. I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're a thing over here. I mean, they might be. I'm pretty sure it's just a handful of people. We we were lucky enough to uh, interact with them. But we have a question. How do you sex uh, Bashirs? Anal fin. Uh, Anal fin and the shape of the tail fin. Uh, Or the the tail fin's less definitive, so it's got to be anal fin. Uh, Males have large, muscular, wide anal fins. Females have a a lot more thinner, um, trowel-shaped anal fins. Uh, The reason why the males are so wide is because obviously they have to cut for, you know, uh, cup to catch the eggs. Right. But yeah, no, it's, it's just as simple as the anal fin. Um, you can sex them very early on. Uh, some people say you got to wait till they're a certain age. Um, sometimes, yeah, but I mean, you can normally, it's fairly easy to sex them from when they're like four or five inch up. So but it's it, a lot easier when they're a bit bigger. Is aggression different between male and female? If the male hasn't had the opportunity to breed when it's sexually mature, it might be a little bit more bitey. Uh, I mean, I, I did have Aren't one. Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but no, I. I I did have a Senegal that was uh, was proper aggro when I didn't have a sexually mature female in the tank. So, and he did kill one of my Labrades, which is bizarre because I hadn't heard of a Senegal doing that before. But you know, I, I'm hearing of it a little bit more now. But yeah, it's, it's not it's not a huge problem really, as long as you females in the tank. He was just looking for love in all the wrong places. He was. He was. Do you mean his music references? That's right. <laughs> well, what that Phil Collins playing? What information have, have we starkly missed in, uh, in our review of uh, Bashir's? Well, I think you covered it a lot, really. Um, I mean, they, there's some species that used to live in South America uh, in the fossil record. Um, when it comes to the fossils, I bloody love them. I mean, there's Bashir's, there's one called Boetius Bartelli, uh, or maybe Bartelli, I, I can't remember, but uh, they could reach over nine feet long. Uh, bloody huge things. Spinosaurus was supposedly, you know, would eat them. Uh, they live in the same area in Egypt. There's also, I mean, back then, the Cenomonian age, um, when there was a big diversity of Bashirs, I think it was the second boom in diversity, there was all sorts of different types. There was one as well called uh, Serenoichthys chemchemensis, which was found in the chemchem beds in Morocco. And it was only like three and a half centimeters, three and a half centimeters or two and a half centimeters long. And we, we I think we could tell it was you know, fairly mature at that point, and it wasn't a juvenile because it had branched fin rays. And normally, when a you know a raffin fish has got branched fin rays, and normally tell it's it's either maturing or it's or it's mature already. So uh, I mean, we think it's probably safe to say that it was a mature specimen, maybe not quite full grown, but maybe full grown. Uh, and yeah, I think three, maybe two fossils have been found. It was probably the most complete fossil that was found, except for Polyteris faro, which was a more recent shear that was discovered, which Funnily enough, it is identical uh, in almost every way to Polyteris Bashir, which is one of the more popular you know, and sought-after Bashir species. Um, but obviously, you can't see its markings or anything like that, but that was found completely whole. Serenoichthys was found completely whole, but the first time it was found, it had no head. 
Uh, and then the next fossil that was found, it had the head. Um, but for the book, we've reconstructed about four species, including Boetius, Serenoichthys, one from South America, uh, and one that was a close relation between the ropefish and Polyteris bashir. So, uh, but obviously, those two, those 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 smaller ones were uh, those lesser known ones were uh, only found by you know, small skull fragments or scales. So there's a lot of creative license into uh, into you know, reconstructing them. Must be a lot and of work, had, uh, much less artist renditions. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, it, it was good fun. We had uh, two paleontologists, two paleontologists who were helping out with it as well, and a paleo artist on it. So uh, I think he's done a pretty good job. He he finished doing them about a month or two ago now. So. Yeah. I love how you have it listed on the website, paleo artist. Like that is yes. a cool job right there. Oh yeah, it's, I, I love honestly when it comes to paleo art and uh, speculative zoology. Fucking love it. It's just one of those things where like, it's illustration, prehistoric life, and it, it just comes together. And you're like, yes, yes, we can finally see what they look like because that's Serenoichthys and these other those three other species as well that I was talking about, um, except for Boetius, none of them were reconstructed before, so no one really knows completely what they look like except for the fossil specimens. So we've ended up adding certain colors. And when it comes to Bashir's markings as well, uh, they have a very limited set of genes, which only allows limited sets of markings, which is why almost every, in fact, every Bashir you see, their markings are a combination of dorsolateral bars, um, you know, lateral bars, and some form of speckling. Um, you won't see any cooler, unique features on there, like ocelli or anything like that, just because you know, it's not really a marking that they've been able to produce, we don't think. so just because of their limited sets of genes. I can't wait for the book. <laughs> I, I can't. He's got me sold. I'm like, you know, keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> so you got any interesting stories uh, while writing this book? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Bef not whoa. just stories about writing the book. I think he, he said before the podcast he started did. that he had this uh, wonderful, you know, off-topic story about uh, a, a certain person named David. Uh... It's horrible, but it's, it's it's funny. I look back on this and laugh now, but I do feel a sense of dread. A <laughs> of well, I'm glad. Let's make this uncomfortable some more. Yes, that's but, what we're here for. Now, okay, um, there was a, a quote that I, I wanted to use that a certain famous conservationist, you know, said. Um, and it was this quote I really wanted to use in the book, and I found out I had to get permission. Uh, so obviously this person is David Attenborough. But so for those that I, don't I, know, if you've listened to any, like, you know, nature documentary like blue planet planet earth he's that amazingly sultry british voice that you hear narrating every bit of it so um i used to be part of a university magazine years back called life magazine and uh we contacted him a while before we wrote him a letter and to find out if he wanted to help out but he was busy filming uh, blue planet so we couldn't get him involved uh but he, he wrote back to us so uh um i emailed the editor of that magazine as saying, oh, have you got the contacts from again? And he said, oh, no. His, she said her, his email is, uh, is just online. You can just pick it up and just send him an email or an address. So uh, I was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do that. So I ended up going on um, this website somewhere. Um, it, looked, it looked official, David Attenborough Productions or, or something like that. And I found a phone number on there. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll give this a ring before I send a letter out. Uh, and I go to, uh, to ring it. And obviously, this is like during the height of the um, the pandemic. I thought that maybe no one will answer, or if someone does answer, it will be uh, Christ. It will be a receptionist or something like that. Uh, the man himself answers, and me being a bit gobsmacked, I sort of you know freeze up and uh, and I just sort of hear this old man say uh, hello, um, and I sort of say, oh hello, I'm looking to get in contact with David Attenborough, 
And uh, he says, yes, speaking. Um, and I thought he said, um, <laughs> yes, it's me speaking. So I go, I go, oh, wow. Oh, but it's so you know, amazing to be able to talk to you. But no, he said, no, I said, who is speaking? And, uh, and I'm like, fuck. So I you know, <laughs> panic and start. Yeah, I panic and start like explaining who I am. I end up, you know, you can probably tell I'm waffling a little bit already, but I started waffling even more to David Attenborough. And he got a little bit agitated. Um, and because I, I said, oh, um, you've encountered Bashir's before um, in your uh, in your program or your, your TV series, Africa. So it was episode three, uh, Africa. No, it was Africa, episode three, the Congo, where there was um, a Congo Bashir hunting um, hunting another fish. And, uh, and I, I said that to him, and he says, I've never done a series in Africa. Uh, and that, that really got me off guard. And I was like, I corrected him. I was like, no, 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 you have. Oh, you, you, have. you could have just let uh, it go, bro. <laughs> I, I, I should have. I just fucking didn't expect. Anyway, I corrected him. And he said, oh, well, if you send me a letter, then perhaps I'll look at it. Um, and I'm like, okay. So uh, I'm in the middle of yeah writing a letter uh, writing a letter to him like a re- a letter of a, a apology um sort of saying sorry for correcting you and and I'm still really confused that he said he didn't do a series in Africa but then maybe I'm thinking he just got a little bit pedantic and called me out because I said maybe it was a TV series and not a program or a documentary maybe but it, it it's all a blur what I said so I, I may not have said TV series or I may have said it I I don't know okay but clearly way, you're I'm a David only- Attenborough fan I'm just saying. I mean, I, not only did I piss him off, but I corrected him, my idol, and I, I sort of feel a bit like a. Cat. <laughs> that was it. I thought it was going to be something no, more. It. No, no, no. That that was it. That was. I mean, I wish it was more. Um, but, so, have yeah, you written no, him a letter? to be a bit. I have, I've not written a letter yet, but that that was it. I mean, to me, that was a big deal. Well, David Attenborough, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> which he's not, number one, we uh, huge fans. There's many a Saturday afternoon that I've spent uh, listening to your sultry voice. And two, uh, Josh is very, very sorry, and he just wants your I'm autograph sorry. already. <laughs> you know, I'm just assuming that, that they probably just hand him a script sometimes, and he just probably reads it and uh, doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. Well, he doesn't have to. He's, he's just that, you know, essentially the white Morgan Freeman. That's correct. You know what I mean? Yes. Got that beautiful voice. Yeah, he, is, he's super, he is super clued up. I think he's like the most traveled man on the planet or something. Yeah, it was posted fairly recently. Oh, it has to be. So, uh, yeah. So I'm sort of thinking, fuck, he knows his shit. So I was thinking that he probably remembers Bashir's. But I thought maybe he doesn't, just to be on the safe side. I'll explain what they are. And uh, uh, yeah, he turns out maybe it's old age kicking and he didn't really remember going to Africa, but I, I'm hoping that's not the case. So for those that are listening, uh, David uh, Attenborough's personal number is posted somewhere out there. We're not going to share it with you. I swear to God, if you not, email us, we're not going to give it to you. It's not his person. It's his office number. But apparently he, he, he does answer the office number every now and then. Because it said on the website somewhere, don't be upset if he doesn't answer the phone. And I'm thinking there's a chance he'll answer the phone. And, so, okay, yeah. and I can piss him off. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, they yeah, should have um, underlined it. May answer Telly. <laughs> that is a great story. I I think you should write him a letter, and we should we should revisit this here in a few months and see if he's answered you. You know, or maybe, I reckon he will. Yeah, I. You know what's what's interesting about him? He's been involved in so many projects over so many years. He probably doesn't have a clue. What happened yesterday? I just looked up. He's 94. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He probably doesn't know what happened yesterday. 
Like, he may have uh, been on a date with Betty White. We don't know. I hope he knows Betty White. Oh, I, I love so. Betty White. Oh, I love Betty White. Oh, oh well, well. You... Lake Placid. Welcome to... Oh, Lake Placid is one of the best films she's ever did. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. Yes. Betty White is a, a true gem in this podcast. Yeah. My favorite quote by her. If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. There you go. <laughs> best one. All right. I don't think the podcast can get better than that. So, uh, Josh, do you have any last-minute comments? Uh, I think I've covered it all, really. Well, yeah. for, the, for those that are listening, you can find, again, it's the BashirHandbook.com. It has more information on the upcoming book. The The cost, again, it is in the, uh looks like the British pound, euro. I'm not exactly sure that price symbol. I'm not educated. Yeah, forgive me. Yeah, British pound. Um, worth, no, uh, worth mentioning on there as well, um, when it comes to shipping, Shipping might be expensive, so shipping could be around twenty pound. But I am trying to secure something with this company called Logical Choice Group. I'm, I'm sort of trying to secure uh, shipping costs and things like that, so they'll do it worldwide. So hopefully that will reduce shipping costs because they, they'll do all sorts of fulfillment there. But if it's just me shipping them out myself, shipping could cost then you know depending where you are in the world up to twenty twenty four quid, so pretty much the same price as the book, which no one likes really. Which is why I've tried to keep the price as low as fucking possible. Maybe we so can get a hold of quid. get hold of David Attenborough because he travels the world. You could give him like a hundred <laughs> copies. He could just drop them off when he's in, in your neighborhood. <laughs> oh, mate! If only, if only. I, I, you know, I wanted him to do the bloody forward for the book as well. No chance of that, I don't think. So when when you contacted him, were you hoping just to get some insider information, or what were you? What was the reason by no, the, the quote? He wanted just, the quote. Yeah, I just wanted that quote. It was something about conservation. Um, you know, you, you don't. You can't preserve something. No, no, that was McCulty's quote. It was something similar to if you can't preserve something, you, you know, you, you can't really. If you don't know something, you can't preserve it. Along the lines of that. I mean, that's McCulty's quote, that one, but Attenborough done a similar quote too. McCulty's, I think, is better. So it's yeah. it's kind of his uh, his thing, and you wanted to get permission to use it? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever ask that like, then or not? Quote, <laughs> Did you ever get a chance I've got to some, hi, I'm looking to get permission for a quote, uh, and then. That was when I sort of fucked up the conversation. So what he's saying so, is, it's not in the book, and instead he'll have the quotes from the Aquarium Guys podcast. That's that right. You can if, use anything. If I had said. a dick, here's where you'd suck it. That's right. <laughs> Definitely have that Betty White quote in there. Thank you, Betty White. No, but for those that are looking for the book, that's the website. There's certainly uh, is there still opportunity for people to advertise or help support it in any way? Is there a Kickstarter fund that people can throw money at you? I was thinking about doing that. I was going to do pre-ordering at some point, but honestly, I haven't had the time to set anything like that up at the moment. I'm doing McCulty. You know, do you know Ivan McCulty? I cannot say I do. Oh, legendary river explorer in Venezuela. Now, I'm doing his uh, the graphic design for his book at the moment. It was something like 300, 400 pages, and that sort of took up all my time at the moment. I'm spending after work evenings and then bloody weekends working on it. So I haven't had much time for mine at the moment, but my book's pretty much done, so there's still time if anyone wants to advertise in there. Um, just ping me an email, uh, the Bashir handbook at gmail.com. Um, and I can send out a media pack. Uh, so if you want to advertise, just, just ping me a message. Wonderful. I, I, plenty, it's probably like right. a month, a month. Cause when it comes to right before print, I've got plenty of time. I could just slap in an advert in the back or the front, wherever. Well, maybe with luck, we can Links slap some aquarium guy in the back. You never know. I think we should put Betty White in the back. That'd sell. Oh, we <laughs> absolutely. She's open, uh, open royalty, right? We don't have to pay no, her for that. None. Oh, excellent. Well, thanks again for coming on. Excited for the book. Hopefully in the future we can talk to you, because clearly you do uh, help with a lot of different books and projects. We are wanting to talk to you and see before you leave that if you do the uh, handbook on feeder guppies, wait, I mean endlers, so uh, 
let us know. Contact us. But uh, well, our people will talk to your people, and we'll do lunch. We'll do lunch. But again, appreciate you staying up so late with us. Only gone past my bedtime by half hour. You fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like four o'clock, four thirty here, and we're just going to start drinking now. So you go to Betty Bye, and, and we'll we'll talk shit about I you. I will. You bastards, that's fine. <laughs> Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, three go. All right, well, thanks, Josh. And uh, guys, if you like what you hear in the Aquarium Guys podcast, go to the website, aquariumguyspodcast.com. On the website, there's a link to, to donate, buy merch, uh, send us feedback, or just a text message to Jimmy saying that uh, he is the Arnold. So uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks a lot again, Josh. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go fuck yourself, don't you know? (laughs) That's my boy, don't you know.